Hi, I'm Kristen Ludlow from NBA Inside Stuff, and you're listening to the Double Clutch Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Double Clutch Podcast brought to you by Lean In. I'm Mike Miller and as usual I'm joined by the man himself, Mr Joe Holbert. Hi Mike, how's it going? Yeah, pretty good actually. Yourself? It's great. I, I say this every time we're um, on the verge of clock changes but I love what, how it's only a four hour difference for a small period of time. It's great. Yeah, it is. That I I freaked out that the game was so early yesterday. The uh, the, the Raptors Thunder's game. I was just like, wait, what? There's a game on. <laughs> um, if only it was always like this. Uh, that would be amazing. It's a shame that we can't get more um, sociable games during the playoff run. Um, if I we, don't know how. If we move to Western Africa or <laughs> Iceland, it would always be like this. So maybe that's a plan for the future. Okay. <laughs> brilliant i'm not sure i could afford to live in iceland that's pretty expensive but um western africa weather would be good there too so yeah maybe i could do that i'll i'll uh i'll have a scout that'd be brilliant um but uh we're not here to talk about the benefits of moving to other countries just yet um wow it's like an early brexit uh conversation and we're already two minutes <laughs> into it um but anyway uh we are just 26 days from the 2018 NBA playoffs, which will start um, on the 14th of April. So, not long at all now, considering April's, what, a couple of weekends away? So, I think it's probably a good time to discuss the playoffs in general. Um, There was a report last week from Adam Silver, well, about Adam Silver saying that the NBA is not ready for the 1-16 playoff format. It makes sense, but we have two conferences geographically apart. Do you have any thoughts on this? What's your opinion on whether they should flip to the one sixteen and get rid of this? I'm not going to say anything yet because I might I'll show my hand too early. What What do you think on this? I think that we should have the one to sixteen. Um, yes. My issue with this thing is so we're looking at the West now. We'll get onto it in more depth. But two two of these four teams are going to miss the playoffs. Two of the Spurs, Timberwolves, Nuggets, Lakers, Pelicans, Jazz. Two of those are going to miss the playoffs. All of those would comfortably make the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. I, I think the Clippers would be, even without um, Chris Paul, JJ Redick and Blake Griffin, I still think the Clippers would be a playoff team in the East. But I think the big reason for the conferences used to be sort of geographical, that you know it was harder to fly. You can get a flight from anywhere these days. All these teams have private jets. It's just easier to get around the country. And I think also if you space the games out, if you get rid of more back-to-backs, I think it's very realistic. The only problem is scheduling. How would you do it? But there are a lot smarter people than me who can figure that out. It's not really, it's not like a stumbling block. It's something you can work around, but it would take a lot of thought, I think, to go into it. Yeah, um, <clears throat> quite well, you, you've, you've basically covered everything I was going to say, <laughs> which is great. Um but I, I completely agree. The one sixteen need, needs to be done. Um, it's not fair on teams that have better records. And I don't care what people say, the West is still, on the whole, a more difficult conference. So their records are skewed as well due to the bias you get from, from the, how often you play your own division, your own conference versus the other conference. Um I don't even buy this whole, it doesn't make, you know, we have two conferences that are geographically apart and, and Silver expressed concern about the hypothetical cross-country matchups such as the Portland Trailblazers against the Miami Heat. And I was just like, 
well, hold on a sec. These are these are teams that if they're on a road trip, they can quite easily be on a road trip for seven to, days to two weeks, where they are <clears throat> literally going from one city to another. How is it really going to affect them if they play two games at home, two games on the road, one one one? I d- I just don't understand where the logic for this whole. You've you've already mentioned they have they have um, private jets. They the access is so easy. <clears throat> Excuse me, I've got a bit of frog in my throat tonight. Um, they've, they've got these private jets. They've they've got access to all the latest, you know, sleep analysis and all this kind of stuff. The schedule as it is isn't that heavy for for a playoff run. You know, it's not that travel heavy, is what I mean. I know you're playing a game every couple of days, but that's no different to what it is now. If you wanted to stretch it out a bit more, I don't see there being any problem with pushing the season back by a week so all that's going to affect is the two teams that make the finals anyway that have a slightly longer season everyone else is just going to have as long as they normally would have had it just, I just I wish they'd do it sooner because I think there's a lot of teams here that deserve to be in the playoffs and aren't and then there are a few that perhaps don't deserve to be and are yeah I'm looking at the Miami Heat they're a team I watch a lot I don't think they would be even close to the playoffs in the west in fact I'm not even sure they'd be above the Lakers in 11th, I really don't think they would be. Um, now, obviously, some will argue, well, the conferences fluctuate, and that's that's kind of true, I guess. But for me at the moment, there's no need for this conference system. I think it's outdated. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it just... I think it would make better series as well. A lot of people say, well, the 16 seed would lose uh, very easily to the one team. I don't necessarily agree with that, I think. And I think you would have more competitive... You know, first of all, it would stop LeBron just winning the East every year. Because even with all this going on there, most people are picking LeBron to still win the Eastern Conference. I don't know. I just... I haven't heard a good argument for keeping the conference system yet. About the only reasonable argument I've heard is that there is a lot to sort out, but I don't think any advocate of it is saying, yeah, let's change it next season. It would take a couple of years, I think, to plan, and it may even take a testing year, because if they tested it and it was just terrible, you know, but you can, you know, this is what the thing, you iron out the kinks, and I think, I think it's something they've got to work towards. Yeah, I, I I agree. Um, even the one versus sixteen, well, you know, it's no difference. It, one versus eight, really, is it? Exactly, because theoretically, the top seed in the East should be as equal to the top seed in the West, and unfortunately, this hasn't been the case in in recent years. Um, yeah, so I'm glad we're on the same page. So, Adam Silver, regular listener, I'm sure, sort it out, mate. Um. <laughs> and one thing I will say as well, the Jazz just went on, I think, a fourteen game win streak, and they went from ninth in the East. To ninth in the East. Now they have moved up. Now they're at fifth now. But like, there's a team should not be going on a 14-game winning streak and not moving up anything. I know they're moving closer, so it's a bit skewed. But that for me sums up the problem with the conference system. The Jazz in the West. Yeah, yeah. The yeah, Jazz. Yeah. The Jazz just went on a big win streak, and yeah, they and they got nowhere. Yeah, it's ridiculous their win streak. In fact, that was on our list to talk about later, but let's jump straight into the Jazz now, shall we? Um, so you just mentioned that they've had a huge winning streak. They've actually lost only two games in about the last 26. since. The, so since January the 24th, they've lost twice. One against Portland and one against Houston. Who, well, the, the Rockets are the Rockets, fair enough. And, and Houston, they've had a, uh, Portland, they've had a few 
decent battles with uh, so far this season. How is a team that's lost its star player, and admittedly he's not put it, he's not got an output at all this year for the for the Celtics? How's a team managed to to sort of carry on producing? They're they're in almost the same spot they were last year. Elite elite coaching. I mean, he has done such a good job. He didn't just lose. I mean, Gordon Hayward was that entire offense. That offense was built around him being able to sort of score from every play type. He had to overhaul the offense completely. He's got elite play from a rookie who looks like he's going to be a future star. But one thing you've got to take into account with the Jazz, Rudy Gobert missed a fair bit of time this year as well. So mm-hmm. he's, And since he's come back, they have just been... I mean, they're not just a good team, they're a great team. Uh, his, he, uh, This is another topic. Gobert should be the defensive player of the year. We're seeing a lot of sort of Al Horford lo- uh, love. But, uh, you know, Al Horford, I'm sorry, he's not a defensive player of the year caliber player. Rudy Gobert, teams, if you watch teams play against, I watched Portland against him, and admittedly you did beat them. But Damian Lillard usually, like when he plays against my Timberwolves, he has no hesitation in going to the rim. He sees a gap, he hits it, he scores. He, if you can, Gobert makes people uh, hesitate for that split second. And that is the mm-hmm. difference between giving up a layup and forcing a mid-range jumper. They have been so good. And the thing I love about the Jazz, they're so good to watch as well. They don't just play this sort of boring post-basketball, which is what a lot of teams that don't really have those offensive specialists play. They move the ball really well. They use screens well. They shoot a lot of threes. And I've I've really enjoyed watching them in this win streak. So they're the, the second-ranked defense in the league, which is a which is a massive statement given that you've just mentioned. Obviously, Gobert has been out a couple of times this year with niggling knee injuries. It's just... Is it a case? So this year, everyone sort of jumped on. I say this year, last year, everyone jumped on the Jazz bandwagon. They were the the new team to the hipster team that everyone should follow. People went a bit cold on them. Um, They had a bit of a rough start to the season with those injuries, and there was an an acclimation period for um, Donovan Mitchell. this, these these guys, how far can they go? Are you as a as a fellow Western Conference franchise fan? Are you fearful of them next year if they if they manage to get a full season of production out of these two guys? Um, I still think my team, when we're healthy, are better than them. But one thing I will say about this Jazz team, and this is something that Tom Thibodeau isn't doing, and Mike Malone isn't doing. Quinn Snyder maximises every player on his roster and that is what should scare people. The production they're getting out of Joe Ingles is ridiculous. You watch Joe Ingles, he looks so awkward, but they're using him as their secondary ball handler now and he's just, he's so good. Every player who comes off that bench, they signed like Fabo Cephalosha, they got an Ekpiudo as well and he gets he gets something out of every player on that roster. So, and the fi- the thing that makes them fearful is that it's the defense. It's Rudy Gobert. You cannot run your sort of slashing offense when Rudy Gobert is in there because he will just, you know, he'll put you, he'll put your ass into the second row. That's what he does. <laughs> he, I mean, it's just they are such a scary team because of him. The defensive rating since he's come back, I think the stat I saw, I think their defensive rating is something like ninety-seven, and I think the next best team is Houston with like a hundred and one. Like they are different level. If if we look then at the, the defensive player of the year award, is it, who who else out there is there this year? Because usually this is uh, 
uh, Kawhi Leonard's up there. Um, DeAndre Jordan's up there. Draymond Green's up there. But obviously Kawhi's out injured. Um, I I don't think DeAndre Jordan is even cl- close to being in with a shout this year. Um, and then Draymond Green as well. He, he, everything seems to have quietened on on that aspect. For you know the noise around him as a defensive player. Not to say that he's fallen off at all. Just it, it, they don't seem so reliant with the uh, on him with the sort of emergence of Durant as this free safety gobbling up blocks left, right, and center, seven footer that can just sneak around everywhere. Is there anyone else in your mind that's sort of standing out as a potential? Um. Joel Embiid has been pretty good this year. I would say Marcus Smart as well. That's not a popular name, but if you watch that guy, he's just... I know he's injured now, but he's an absolute pest. We played Boston a few weeks ago, and he was so good defensively. He was actually making me angry how good he was, because every (laughs) time we were trying to go past him, it's just like a brick wall. Their defensive rating... When he's on the court, is 101. It drops to 107 when he goes off. I would say he's right up there. Honestly, you've, you've got to look at the two guys at Houston, both of those wings. They won't win it because people care about blocks and steals. But if you look at someone like Luke Mabarmute, he plays elite defense on every single snap and it seems to go unnoticed. So, yeah, I, for me, Gobert is the runaway winner. But I think in this award, we need to give more love to defensive wings because I, fi- I feel like we kind of go after the guys who rebound a lot and get a lot of blocks. Do you, do you think that, because there's been a lot of a noise around uh, Paul George as a candidate, do you think that's just smoke and mirrors? And, and is there an aspect of this award that should be, you have to be the anchor of an elite defense? Like, I mean... OKC are ranked tenth in in defensive rating. To me, that doesn't scream of a of, of someone who's perhaps deserving of the award. No, for me, George, I don't think he's. If you watch personally, when I watch Thunder games, I notice Stephen Adams the most on the defensive end. He's not similar to Gobert in the sense that teams are scared to go to the rim, but he's he switches really well. He moves well in space. He for me is the anchor of that defense. Uh, unless you count Andre Roberson, because yeah, he probably would be running away with this award if he'd been healthy for this entire season. So, yeah, I'm with you on Paul George. Personally, I think he's been a good defender. That's fine. It's, it's my take on Horford as well. They've both been good, but for me, Gobert, what he's done, I don't care about the missed games. He is the runaway winner for me. Cool. And um, so let's get let's bring it back to the Jazz for a second. Then um, currently the fifth seed. With the same record as the Pelicans and the Spurs, and well, two and a half games again ahead of being out of the playoffs. What's their ceiling this year? Are they, if you, if you were a betting man, which I know you are actually, because I've I've heard about some of your accumulator successes. Um, <laughs> is your money on the Jazz making the playoffs this year? And if so, where do you see them getting to? So they've got a kind of. They've got a nice couple. They've got Atlanta and Dallas coming up. After that, it is a tough schedule, apart from the game at home to Memphis, who are, first of all, what a tank job Memphis are doing right now. It's really, it's brilliant. I'm going to go, yes, they'll make the playoffs because of coaching. I, you know, I think Quinn Snyder this year in every game he's coached, especially since Gobert has come back, he has maximized the players on his roster. And in close races, a lot of people take the team with the best players. I take the team with the best coach always. I think. The job he's done this year, and it's that defensive solidity. I think, 
I think they're dangerous. As a, as a ceiling in the playoffs, I think for me to believe in them to win a series, this is going to sound, it's not a hot take or anything, I would have to see who they're against. If they were against Portland, I would back Portland. If they were against San Antonio with Kawhi, I would back San Antonio. But if they face the Pelicans, I'd probably think about getting my broom out. Because <laughs> I would just I would trust Quinn Snyder in a playoff series over Alvin Gentry. So come back to me at the end of the season. But this Jazz team are going to be the team that everyone wants to avoid in the first round. Okay, so the Jazz then have got the Hawks, the Mavericks, Spurs, Warriors, Celtics, Grizzlies, Timberwolves, Lakers, Clippers, Lakers, Warriors, and Blazers left to go this season. So we're we're down to the final few games now. We're down to the final twelve, which is uh, which is scary. It seems to be flying by. Um, let's jump next to the breaking news that came out today. Tyrone Liu, the head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers, has stepped back from his role as head coach. Uh, citing health issues, I believe he's been having, it sounds quite scary actually, he's been um, having chest pains and other troubling symptoms compounded by a loss of sleep throughout the year. Um, this this Cavs uh, head coach role is a bit of a poison chalice, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's a hard role because the, the expectation from everyone that's a fan and in the organisation is, well, you've got LeBron James, you should win the East and you should take the finals to six. The problem with the Cavs is, and I've got to say, I've bashed Tyron Lue a lot on that podcast, and having watched the Cavs in sort of recent months a little bit more, I kind of feel for him. So everyone talks about how bad the defense is. They don't have any good defenders on their roster. LeBron, he is saving his energy. We'll, we'll say that. I don't want to use the coasting words. Um, they just don't have good defenders, and they're... And their trade deadline, they went, okay, we're going to go and sign loads of, and I mean this respectfully, they signed a load of average role players to go around him. They signed Rodney Hood, Larry Nance. They're okay. They're not good players. They're not great players. They're okay. So I feel a bit sorry for Ty Lue. Obviously, the health concerns are, are paramount, and that is the priority. I would imagine now they give it over to Larry Drew or Jim Boylan. Both have head coaching yeah, experience. Yeah, so Larry Drew has been... Um, is it Larry Drew? Larry Drew's taken over, yeah. So, I mean, Larry Drew, I remember him, he wasn't a great coach when he was in Atlanta. He had quite a good roster. He didn't do a lot with it. I think he won one playoff series with ISO Joe, just going mental. I I don't know. I'm, I ne- I'm never going to back out on LeBron, but I'm kind of worried about this team now because they didn't have a great coach before. They've probably downgraded. But Kevin Love is back. That's the huge thing for me right now. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, Kevin Love coming back is a, is a big, big thing they need. Um, there's there's part of me that, and obviously, and I, I, sincerely, I hope Ty Ty Lue is is healthy and gets back soon. But there's part of me that's like the the noise that this was supposed to be sort of LeBron's guy anyway, and then there's been sort of reported friction between the two. I know that my initial reaction before I realized it was medical related was that LeBron had just done exactly what he did to uh, David Blatt. Those what was that two three years ago um get him dumped out early in well I'll say early in the season I think David Black went around January time um and then they went on to win the title part of me felt it was just LeBron sort of flexing his muscles again um part of me is a just as someone who loves a good conspiracy wonders whether this is just a you know there's a power struggle there and and GM LeBron is now GM and coach LeBron 
part of me thought they would announce the first sort of player coach, uh, player coach. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess that was what, what you what you would call it. Uh, in in what would probably be about thirty years in the NBA, and LeBron was going to take the the mantle himself. I thought that would have been interesting. It, it's just weird how this organization always attracts drama. Like even when they're winning, there's drama. When they're not winning, there's drama. It's just something about. I don't know whether it's LeBron or this franchise because they were pretty. Uh, diabolical when he when he was gone. Um, I always go back to the Deng reference about how poorly the organisation was run, and I just wonder whether this is all stems from the ownership again. Just this whole mess, essentially. I know obviously you can't do anything about someone's health, but it just feels like to me the health side of things might be a convenient um, cover story, if that makes sense. I'm being really sceptical and and got a tin hat on again. Yeah, I'm. With, I- I'm kind of with you. I, the only thing I would say though, if um, if this is a LeBron thing, I think making up health symptoms is quite low. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think it's stress related. I mean, I've not been under as much stress as him because I don't have everyone calling me a fraud on Twitter. But <laughs> I, I can imagine it's a stressful job. You, there's so yeah. much pressure. It's a young coach as well. This was this is a big first job to get. At least David Blatt had had experience coaching in big games in the Euro League. They kind of threw Ty Lue in at the deep end. I know he won a ring, um, but you question how much of that was him. He just kind of stayed with what was in place. I mean, you know, my only thing is, is he going to come back as Cavs head coach from this? That's that's exactly what I'm wondering. If he does, then I will have no sort of elements of doubt that it was just a health thing but if he doesn't then there's always going to be part of me that thinks this is just I mean there probably is health things there as well but I don't know Um, but LeBron said it's like losing one of your best players he's the guy that's pretty much the captain of our ship and has run the thing for the last three years Um, but his health is most important and we look forward to when he comes back that to me is classic LeBron say what needs to be said in front of the cameras because it's <laughs> is is he the guy who's pretty much been the captain of that ship? I don't I don't think so. I think it's fair to say he he wasn't, and this is just uh, LeBron LeBroning. Um, but yeah, I'm going massively down conspiracy theory avenue. Um, <laughs> well, they signed a lot of LeBron's guys, didn't they? They brought in Jose Calderon, God knows why, because he's finished. They signed Jeff Green, another one, another guy LeBron likes. They just kind of brought in LeBron's guys. None of them can defend. And a lot of them are old. So, yeah, this is not a well-constructed roster at all. No. And they'll probably still win the East. I'm still pretty <laughs> yeah. Um Speaking of the East, let's stick with the East for a bit. Um, for, for everyone out there who hasn't been on the website yet, which if you haven't been on the website recently, go and do it. Why aren't you? That's, that's just ridiculous. Uh, we've had a couple of good articles go up this week. Um, so... The Eastern Conference is on the rise by Jordan Rowe. Go and check that out. He's basically covering off uh, how, in his opinion, the the East is more entertaining than this, this year than the West. What are your What are your thoughts on that one? I don't necessarily agree with it. I think this playoff race. Obviously, you look at the standings. You've got the top three teams: Portland, Houston, and Golden State. Who I would say are all in. But after that, I mean, it could be anyone. Yeah. So, no, but I, I, I get, I've read the article and I get where he's coming from. He said, I think he's suggesting that 
there's teams in this for the long haul. I mean, his Boston section is literally called in it for the long haul. You've got, there are some teams growing in the East. I just think a couple of them need those final touches, but I've, I've enjoyed Toronto this year. I've enjoyed Boston as well, even though it's been a defensive team, which I don't usually enjoy. Um, yeah, I enjoyed the article. I, I liked the love for Jonas Valanciunas as well. He's had a really good season. Yeah, he has. I I found the article interesting because so much is skewed towards the West. And I think there there is an aspect to that where it rightly should be skewed because the Warriors and the Rockets are just unfathomably good. But I I love the the sort of the angle of it that you're right. These are not necessarily even in it for the long haul, but when you think about the the potential future contenders, you are drawn to teams like the Celtics and to the Sixers, who are, have just such an exciting young core, um, and even the Raptors this year. I I have loved watching them, and I don't think they're getting enough credit. And funnily enough, their fan base, who are one of the most entertaining and vocal groups of people, they don't think they're getting enough love. The conspiracy theories I hear from them as to why are just brilliant. Um, but I, I think there is definitely the East isn't a write-off for sure. It's not a write-off. It just doesn't. It's just not as deep and competitive. I don't think at the minute. It's it, there is some really good basketball going on there. Yeah, I've enjoyed the Pacers as well. Um, there are some and teams. the Bucks. Yeah, the Bucks need a coach though. I think with, yeah, yeah. I think with a coach they really could be the one seed next year. But the thing I find depressing about the East is all the teams at the bottom. You look at Knicks, Bulls, Nets, Magic, Hawks, and to a lesser extent the Hornets and the Pistons, all those non-playoff teams, they're all just depressing. There's not a lot to celebrate. You, I guess you've got Zach Levine and Laurie Markkinen on the Bulls, but outside of that, those teams at the bottom are depressing. Whereas if you go over to the West, Memphis aside, you've got the Suns, you've got Josh Jackson, Devin Booker. You've got the Kings, who've got Bogdan Bogdanovich, um, De'Aaron Fox. There's just more, I think that conference is much deeper. And even the Lakers have been enjoyable this year as well. That's my issue with the East. I like the playoff teams, but the non-playoff teams, they're just woeful. I mean, they are just god-awful. Yeah, it, <laughs> I I can't even, Some there's some teams that I can't even I've not watched, watch at all. I've not watched the Magic since week one. I, I can't bring myself to do it. I, th- I think I think I gave up. Because they started off on quite a good run, so I was I was checking them out, and then about the time Alfred Payton came back, <laughs> everything just went wrong, and uh, I just uh, I I haven't checked them out for a while. I think I saw them. There was one game I saw where they really outplayed themselves. I can't remember. That maybe that was a game. yeah. That was that was when James Harden got the high score and triple double a few weeks back. They they did outplay themselves, but um, yeah, I, I tend to avoid the magic. Uh, but okay, let's flip over to the West then. Um, Nick Whitfield had uh, an article out again. Uh, it's Dame Time, which uh, I found really good to read as well. Um, make sure you check out doubleclutch.uk for the latest articles. Damian Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers. So, so Nick wrote this when they were when the the win streak was ten. It's now a league leading thirteen. Are these Blazers for real? And I say that with a a, a hint of trepidation in my voice. Well, they've done well defensively this year, which I never thought I'd say, because I've always been a believer, as you have, that that backcourt is just never going to be able to defend people. They're they're always going to play entertaining basketball, which is good, by the way, because I would take some entertaining basketball. Um, 
got, I think they, they're either 6th or 7th. Yeah, 7th in defensive efficiency. It's actually the offense that has taken a slight step back, but I guess that's because the defense has gotten better. There's obviously more focus on that. Um, I've enjoyed Dame as a defender. I think he's better now. For me, the minimum to be a competent defender, you have to deny penetration to other guards. And he, I don't know if he's just worked on it or if it is just a mental thing. He's gone, you know what, I need to defend. He's really stepped up on that side of the ball. I mean, he's he's always, until the day he retires, he's always going to be a fun, high-powered guard, shoots well from three, playmaking's better than I think people give it credit for. Um, but I've been impressed that a guard in this era has actually committed to improving on the defensive end. I, I think he's, um, I, I mean, my my thoughts on the shortcomings of this this backcourt and, and roster are well well publicized um but i i think that he is exactly the kind of guy that you want to lead a team in terms of his approach to the game his attitude his willingness to to work with others um there's i, I heard a great sort of interview um feature show on him i'm trying to remember what it was called i think it was the breakaway um which just basically spoke about leadership and and how he approaches it. And it was just fantastic to get inside his head how when he joined the Blazers, he was hoping that he would have Lamarcus as a mentor and and Aldridge wasn't into that at all. Um, And he made sure that everyone who comes through his locker, I'm going to call it his locker room, everyone comes through the Blazers locker room, knows that he is there to help them. He's done it with... uh, Nurkic, who's who's looking better, but I'm still not convinced. But I still think he can disappear when you need him most. I, I, th- I what I'm enjoying most about the way these Blazers are playing at the minute is that there seems to be a lot of role players stepping up and doing things that they haven't previously done. Um, I think that's good. I think the way that Stotts has adjusted his rotation to to not go as um, as much with players like Myers Leonard now, and instead going with guys like Zach Collins. I think I think that's been a key difference maker, um, but I'm 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 loving them at the minute. I I am I, I what I don't find this is a difficult thing for me is the whole is is Damian Lillard an MVP candidate? Do you think he is? No, no. Sorry, I don't. I, <laughs> I think I, that's fine. I, I thought I was going to be the only one to say no. No, I don't. Um, I don't think it's close. I think it's James Harden, and I I don't even care who's in second because it's not close to me. This is the, this is exactly the issue I have is that he's had a great season. He started off a little bit slow, but it's only now they're putting together a win streak. But it, and I don't even know whether it's the win streak that's doing it. The noise is starting to come. Same with AD. The, the team started to rise, and everyone's like, "These guys are MVP candidates." And I'm like, "Well, then they they would have been." I think. It, wh- I think <sighs> sport fans fear someone sort of being a runaway winner, if that makes sense. So they're trying to sort of re- they're going. It's recency bias, isn't it? Like James Harden yeah. is the runaway MVP. It's it's not close. Like I'm open to other opinions, but I don't. I haven't even heard a decent argument that he's not. I think people don't like that. They go, oh, that's boring. People, sports fans, always want change. They want. Do you know that makes sense? They want competition, yeah, but sure. but there's not. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, uh, Lillard has been good. Davis has been good, but they're not MVP candidates. You know, I, you, I just feel that. Where they've suddenly, because this this cluster of three to ten is so tight, the minute a team gets into that top four spot, they're like, oh, hold on, they're a top four seed. They must be 
you know, he must be having an MVP season. And to me, I'm going, well, hold on a sec. They're only, well, the Blazers are only, what are they, four, four and a half games ahead of the 10th seed. So what happens if in a week's time they drop back down to eighth? Everyone is going to immediately turn back around and go, oh, he's not an MVP candidate. His team's not got a good enough record. And I just sit there and go, well, that's just absolutely crazy. I, I think that, I absolutely agree that Harden's the runaway uh, MVP this year. But I, uh, it's the pushing other players to be MVP because of how good their record looks on a day-to-day basis that get, kind of gets me. But that's uh, I wasn't expecting you to agree with me that I didn't think he was this year. I, I think he's great. I just, just think he's a tier below. Yeah, and that's you know that's fine. And I think I'm sure even he thinks that it's you know I think people they go overboard with criticism and praise now. They don't just go Damian Lillard has had a really good season. They go Damian Lillard's had a good season and he's the MVP. It's like when players crit. It's like we're going to get onto Andrew Wiggins in a minute, but it's like people go. Oh, he's not been great this season. He's absolutely rubbish. Like, whoa, just calm down. You know, you can... People just go overboard. That's my opinion on it. I think... I've I've enjoyed Lillard. And, you know, there's a lot of, I think, fraud defensive guards. Like John Wall, for example, has this reputation of being some amazing defender. When you don't... Personally, when I watch the Wizards, I don't see that. Lillard, if you watch him now, he's really committed to that side of the ball. Yeah, I, I definitely think they are moving in the right direction as a franchise. I, I worry about their long-term prospects because of the money tied up, which I've spoken about before and I'm not going back into here. Uh, but I think he is, like I say, his leadership, the, the just the willingness to have a chat with the owner, um, sit down and say, look, this is where are we going? That seems to have like refreshed the... Fr- like they, they were in a bit of a... a Stuck in a rut, essentially. Uh, what was was that? About January, early February, and he's had this meeting, he's had this conversation, he's cleared the air, and now they're going for it. And I, I think it's great. I think they're doing the best with what they've got, and they're back to where they were sort of two years ago when they overachieved in the season after Aldridge left. That was a really convoluted sentence. Um, but okay, let's let's move on from the Blazers now. The last time we spoke about this team, I think they just moved into third. But because things are so tight, we're about two weeks later and then now eighth. Your Minnesota Timberwolves. So, Jimmy Butler is out. Andrew Wiggins has whispered to teammates that he's unhappy being the third option. What are your thoughts? I'll start with Wiggins. He's, his usage is higher than Carl Anthony Towns's. So, I don't know what he's talking about, that he's the third option. He I mean, he should be the third option. And to be honest, I'd argue he should be the fourth option. Because Jeff Teague gets a lot of hate. But actually, as an offensive player, we run a lot more smoothly with him. My issue with Wiggins is just that shot selection. Like, he'll some Taj Gibson sets really good screens. And Jeff Teague, to be fair to him, he'll either attack the basket or he'll pull up at the three-point line and he'll sort of wait for someone to cut. Wiggins, he just comes off the screen and he shoots from mid-range and it's just the shot selection is mind-boggling. And then, you know, he just doesn't lock himself in at times and I just don't understand why he thinks he should be the uh, second option ahead of Butler or Towns. He's not better than either of them at anything. What frustrates me is that I'm I'm okay with people being unhappy that they're being overlooked, if that makes sense. I'm okay that he's unhappy with being the third option. But don't don't talk about it. Do something about it. If you think you are better than the third option, go out there and prove yourself. Because you've got you've got a coach there who 
as much as he is um, in, overly loyal to his his past players, if you are ready and you are good enough, he gives you the chance. That's why Butler went from being a role player to suddenly doubling his minutes in his third season and becoming this sort of this this dominant two way player. Um, that, that's what frustrates me. And I was I was watching the it was the Rockets they played yesterday last night. I want to say. And some of his decision making, yeah, you, you mentioned it was just really questionable. Um, you go against, you mentioned Luke Mute earlier as being an elite defensive wing. There was a there was a breakaway where he went one on one, and in fact, it might have been one on two. And he didn't even get past Amute, who who came up with a fantastic. St- I don't know if you saw it. He sort of reached over the top and snatched it on it on his gather, and I was just like, whoa, hold on a sec. And it's instances like that where I'm just like. It, I get frustrated with this guy. It's like that's that wasn't. I know you were sort of leading the break, but spot the defense. Think about this for a minute. And this is the thing of him. Look, I I have no issues with him not being a great three point shooter because not everyone needs to be a three point shooter. But my issue with him is those mid range jumpers, and I don't think he's willing enough to change them. Um, you know, for me, a player like Wiggins, he should be used as a cutter. We should use him on pick and roll with better spacing than I think we have at times. He should be he should be attacking the basket. But instead, he just seems to be obsessed with pulling up for these ridiculous mid-range jumpers. Now, you could argue some of it is coaching because that's all Jamal Crawford does as well. You know, when those guys are in the game together, the offense is basically they'll set one screen and hope they get caught. But, I mean, some of it is... I think it's just who Wiggins is, but that's that's not good enough to be a second option ahead of Towns or Butler. See, I, I haven't given up on on Wiggins. I still I I think he's more than capable as a player. His length, his bounce. I I what's he now? Third season, so he's he's got time for to to develop these other aspects of his game. I just I I think he just I guess he's one of these guys who thought he was going to be the man. Yeah. And is slowly being bumped down. And that's, which is, which, but that's his yeah. that's his fault. He's not done enough. He's not adapted his game. Um, again, I go back to the three point shooting. That's I think anyone who just goes, oh, he's rubbish because he shoots thirty three percent from three. That's a really terrible way to look at basketball players. But the issue with him is that he doesn't do enough to make up for that deficiency. If you're a wing in the NBA and you can't shoot threes. You have to be able to. You have to have another skill, basically. So I'm going to use Al Farouk Aminu from your team as an example. He shoots under 40% from the field, but he's a fantastic defender. He's he can play in sort of a motion offense. Andrew Wiggins is a ball stopper, and when and that's not a good fit when you've got Carl Anthony Towns, who should be getting as many touches as possible. It just, it frustrates me a lot. I I'm not against giving him a max because. We didn't really have a choice, and we can get it with those new rules that Adam Silver put in. But he should at least be trying to develop his game. I mean, he averages the most field goal attempts on our team. He's at, I mean, he's just had a Butler. He's at 15.9, Butler's at 15.8. Now, some of that would have been skewed since Jimmy got injured. But, I mean, this guy, he's not good enough to be the third option. That's the first problem. Sorry, the second option. That's the first problem with his statement. But the second problem with his statement is that he is playing as the second option. Yeah, so <laughs> so it's a flawed logic in the first place. So with with Butler out, they've gone three and three. 
Um, of the games they've got left, they've got Clippers, Knicks, 76ers, Grizzlies, Hawks, Mavericks, Jazz, Nuggets, Lakers, Grizzlies, Nuggets. So you've got Jazz and the Nuggets are in the run running with them. You've got the Sixers uh, in the East who are in a playoff spot, and the, and the Clippers are, are in the running the 10th seed at the minute. So you've got a handful of games there which are actually against teams that aren't either trying to lose purposefully or by accident. Um, they've, they've got to make the playoffs, right? If they don't make the playoffs, that's a monumental failure, even in Butler's absence. That's the thing. A lot of people are saying, well, Jimmy Butler's out. We've still got a top 20 player in Carl Anthony Towns, and he was top 15 in my rankings. I'm sure a lot of other people have him there. Jeff Teague, he's a decent point guard. Taj Gibson, is it like we've got good players even without Butler? Uh, if we didn't win a playoff series without Butler, that's different because maybe yeah. you could excuse it. If we don't make the playoffs, this season's been a disgrace. Yeah, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm not being funny. Like it's just, you know, I think people are going, "Well, you're young." It doesn't matter how young you are. We've got, and we're not young. We've got Taj Gibson, who's, you know, the wrong side of thirty. We've got. And, you know, people say that a player's young, like it's about me. Carl Towns, yeah, he's young. He's Have you seen his splits this year? He's he's going 55, 43, 86. Like, he, it doesn't matter how young he is. He's a really, really elite player, offensively, certainly. We should be doing better. And, and my main issue with Thibodeau, it's not actually the coaching. I think, actually, his adjustments are quite good. The offense is more modern than it was under Sam Mitchell. It's him as a GM. It's just been a disaster. Jamal Crawford, I don't care what anyone says, he's not good. He's a net negative every time he steps on the court. Because he doesn't pass. He doesn't bring anyone else into the game. And, you know, Thibs has this reputation of being a defensive coach. We've only signed one defensive specialist under him. That was Cole Aldrich. And he doesn't get on the court because we've got so many big men. The roster construction has just been awful. Derek Rose, I mean, seriously, I can't believe we've signed that guy. He's, he, <laughs> I, I meant to ask what your thoughts were on the, the pickup of Rose. It's just... Uh... I mean, the only good thing about it is he's going nine deep again. But he could have done that with Aaron Brooks or Marcus George's hunt. Derek Rose, I mean, he's just been... Phipps is now using these three guard lineups of Rose, Tyus Jones and Crawford and they've just been painful. I mean because if you're going to have those three none of them are great outside shooters. You've got to have Bialika and Towns on the court and instead he's running it with Dieng and Gibson. There's no floor space in there. You know he just this is my issue with Thibodeau. I wrote about it a couple of weeks ago. My issue with him is he's not even trying to adapt. I'm going to use Dwayne Casey as an example. Dwayne Casey, I think part of what he used to do was outdated. But this year, he's installed a modern offense. He's giving his players rest. He is adapting. Fibido doesn't care. He just seems to think, well, I had success in Chicago. I'm going to do exactly the same thing here. And it's just, it's so frustrating. Because this team should be fun. You know, like Port, your team Portland are fun. I watch the New Orleans Pelicans a lot. They're fun. This team just isn't fun. It's just grueling every night watching this team play basketball. If it translates to playoff success, not necessarily this year, would you take grueling, painful basketball over flash glitz if it, res- if it resulted in going deep in the playoffs? If Carl Anthony Towns got more touches, yes. That's what it's all about. Cat is all I care about. I love Butler, but Cat is the future of this team. He is he's different level to for me the majority of big men in this game. 
He doesn't get anywhere near enough. That guy should lead the team in field goal attempts. He should lead it in usage, touches, any stat you want. He should lead it. Um, that's really been my main knock. He's using all these sort of high usage guards, and that just takes the ball out of his hands. Okay, so it's it's clear to see that Tibbs is definitely not on your list for the next topic of conversation, which is going no. to be Coach of the Year talk. Not even so, close. Not, not close. even close. So, so for me this year, Coach of the Year, I've I've been thinking about it, um, and for me, I, I can't look past Dwayne Casey. You just mentioned him. The way he's reinvented this offense, the way it's gone from being a team dominated by Lowry and DeRozan to being a team where they can go deep and they have got an absolutely terrifying second unit. I, I just can't I can't look past him at the minute. So who, where are you thinking with this? See, I feel like I'm I'm with you. I feel like I'm being really edgy by saying someone else, but it's my philosophy for Coach of the Year has been mentioned on this podcast so many times. I'd like to give it to guys who do the most with the least. Dwayne Casey's done a brilliant job. He's redesigned that offense and he's established himself as a top tier coach. But I always gravitate to guys who sort of get, you know sort of worse rosters up there he's got some really good players on his roster so I like what Nate McMillan has done this year with Indiana I think I think he should be very close he's got elite play out of Oladipo but they've just been so good offensively he's again maximized every player on his roster I think you've got to look at Alvin Gentry as well I mean he's lost his best player but even with that even with Cousins this was a really good team the only thing I'll say is, earlier you mentioned Portland could drop out of the playoffs. Pelicans could drop out of the playoffs feasibly because it's so tight in there. Um, Casey's number one, McMillan's two. And, you know, a guy who I voted for last year, I think Eric Spolstra should be in with a run. I mean, that roster just isn't very good at all. You've got Dragic, he's all right. He's He's a good, not great player. But they are really tough to play against on any given night, and they're going to give the Raptors a big series. The the Heat, I think, I think Spolstra has benefited hugely from the departure of LeBron James um, because people have actually been able to see how good a coach he is without having the greatest player of this era on it on his roster. I totally, I totally agree that he he's sort of inflating uh, that heat to a level where they're, the heat to a level where they're playing above where they should be is is there any one name you didn't mention Brad Stevens this this is a, a Celtics franchise that has suffered horrific injuries let's face it this season um not not quite where they were on pace for but you know following their incredible start to the year but they're sat quite comfortably in second in the east I, th- I think he's done a fantastic job just to get them there, given that they, lo- they lost Hayward on day one. Um, they're riding smart a smart injury. Uh, Daniel Teese is out. Uh, Kyrie's out at the minute. I, th- I think he's a guy who's put together and got the most out of a really young team of, of essentially a couple of rookies and some bit parts, if that makes sense. No offence to Horford, I'm not including him as either a rookie or a bit part. Um, but he's a he's a sort of glue guy. But I think I th- I think Stevens is just coming out to be a phenomenal coach. And what he did with basically a, a reserve unit against, admittedly not the greatest team in the in the East, the the Wizards, when they took them to overtime with a team that started Terry Rozier. Uh, I definitely think that's a guy who should still be in this conversation. 
Yeah, the, the thing that's impressing most about Stevens is that offense last year was based on sort of bombing threes. They had Jay Crowder and Avery Bradley working a lot off of screens. They lost those two. And he, I think he's adapted his scheme really well. They play a little bit more inside than they did um, last year. Stevens, you know, the thing I'm going to say with Stevens is he's still got Curry Irving. I know he's injured now, but he's had him all year. He's still got Al Horford. You look at Nate McMillan, who, you know, I know I just said he's my number two. He might be my number one. He's got Oladipo, who, let's be honest, a lot of people made fun of uh, their GM for that trade. I mean, we did. I remember coming on and we were like, what the hell is that? That is absolute rubbish. Well, Nate McMillan has got the best out of him. He's got the best out of Bojan Bogdanovic. He's got the best out of Fadja. It's just kind of like the Pacers roster is just a bunch of journeymen. You've got, th- I, li- I like Miles Turner. Again, good, not great player. Fad Young, Corey Joseph, Darren Collison. And my question about Stevens is, has he done a, has he had it harder than Nate McMillan, who really was just kind of, just put with this roster? And I, you could argue yes, because injuries are killer. I, I think he's done more with less expectations. Um, I, th- I think what Stevens has been able to do. I mean, this is still the the number one in defensive rating, the the number one team, and they've just they they've just set a tone. And I just can't get over the way he's incorporated someone like Tatum. Like usually, we look at the rookies, and I say this knowing full well that Donovan Mitchell is on a, a playoff team. But usually, the rookies that do well are the focal point on teams that aren't so great, and yet he is. A rookie that's putting up thirteen and five as a complimentary role player behind two all stars, and I, I just find the way that he's been able to be adapted in and it, well, uh, just integrated into this team is just has just been great. I think that's, I, I don't know. I just, uh, I think he's definitely got a lot more. I'm, I'm blabbering now, but he's, he's got a lot more assets available to him. Absolutely, than Nate McMillan. But I think this is where this has been a sort of a work in progress for him, and this team is still performing ahead of where they should be, and they are they've still got room to grow. And he's just doing, I think he's just doing a great job. I can't I can't say enough about the guy, but I, he's he's not my first choice this year. Now, if that makes sense, I I, I still think it's Dwayne Casey at the minute. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to be. I just can't look past Casey. He's. It's really hard to... I think the hardest thing for a coach and GM to do is make a good team a great team. And that's what him and Masai Ujiri have done. That's the hardest thing to do. Because when you're maxed out on cap, when you've got, you haven't got high draft, it's really hard to sort of develop yourself. But they shoot a lot more threes. A lot of that is down to DeRozan, who's just completely expanded his game yet again. Yeah, I'm going Dwayne Casey, but Nate McMillan and... Quinn Snyder as well. I didn't mention him because we've already talked about him. They're very close too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's there's a plethora of coaches to choose from this year instead of it just being down to Pop and Steve Kerr. Um, cool. All right, well, let's leave it there then for this week. Uh, thank you to everyone for listening. Make sure you check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Double Clutch UK. Check out the website, which is doubleclutch.uk. Uh, for all the latest articles a couple we mentioned earlier go and check them out they're really good reads if you want to get in touch with us it's admin at doubleclutch.uk there's a lot of doubleclutch UKs in there it's almost like there's a theme going on and get involved with us on Twitter use the hashtag NBA in the UK but thanks very much for listening and we'll catch you next week